Yeah, so open your Bibles to Ephesians 4. Navigate with your finger to Ephesians 4 if you need to. For those of you who don't know, Matt's in Africa right now. Um, yeah, just keep him in his prayers. He's leading some, leading some, uh, doing a couple pastor's conferences, teaching some people over there, looking at the facilities over at the Mercy Caring Home. Um, yeah, helping lead a VBS with his son Eli, and yeah, I think they're having, a, I assume they're having a good time. I don't know anything about what's going on, but. So we're going to go through Ephesians, if you remember. It's been a while since we've been in Ephesians. Uh, last time I spoke, I did on the names of God. Um, so this morning we're in Ephesians chapter 4. But before we get into Ephesians 4, um, well, first let's just pray. Let's pray to open up here. Lord, thank you for your word. Um, we just offer this time to you, God. Lord, um, we want to be equipped for your ministry this morning, Lord, as your church, as your body, Lord. Um, we're united in you, and, and uh, we just come looking to find you this morning. So just bless this time. Amen. Amen. So... Uh, let's get our whole headspace back with what's going on in Ephesians, just so you, uh, just so you remember what's going on here. The, the book of Ephesians is split up basically in half, is how Ephesians work. The first half, of the first half, which is three chapters, it's all about how you're saved by grace and how you're adopted into the family of God. You have a new identity in Christ, whether you're Jew or Gentile, um, you're, you're a part of one body now in Christ. And then the last three chapters, chapters four, five, six, is more of the practical side of what Paul says. And, and basically he's saying, in light of you now being in this new body, this is what you're to do. This is what life looks like living in the new identity. And Paul has a very simple way of writing uh, basically, basically all his books in the Bible to all the churches that he writes to. There's a common theme almost across all of Paul's letters that you can look for when you start reading your Bible and you start reading anything about to do with Paul. And there's really just two main points that Paul tries to get across in all his, in all his writings. And you'll see these things. So look for them when you read any of Paul's letters. The first one is that Jew and Gentile are saved by grace and they're adopted into one body, adopted into Christ. So it's all about your identity. The first thing Paul always talks about is your identity. And then the second thing that Paul always talks about is that because you're in this new identity, these are the ways that you should respond. Because Jesus died for you, this is how you are to respond. So the first three chapters of Ephesians is all about how, how you're saved by grace. You're a new identity in Christ. And it just goes on and on, right? For three chapters, eventually you're like, okay, I get it, Paul. I get it. I'm saved. I'm adopted. But he spends all this time writing for three chapters because it's like super important. It's super important that you understand before you head into the final three chapters. So let's just look at a couple verses before we go to chapter four. Ephesians 1, verse three to five. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. 
And then go down to Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. And then stay in 2 and go down to 18. 18 says, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Verse 20, Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So across these three verses, what are some common themes that you guys see here? And just throw them out. I'm looking for audience participation. What are some themes, common themes in those three verses? We're one in Christ. Christ. Beauty. What else? Bueller. Bueller. Access. Access. What do you you mean access? access? We all have access. Yes. Very good. Not bad. Any more? Any more? Adopted. We've been adopted into Christ, through Christ. Saved by, grace. Saved by grace, beauty. That's about all I have written down. You guys got all of them. Anything else? Anything else that you see in there? So, so, so the idea is, here is that you need to understand your change. You need to understand your identity. If you truly understand your identity and who you are, this is like a game changer for you. Because when you truly realize what Christ has done for you, that's not by any works of your own, it's by grace that you've been brought into the body of Christ, who you identify will determine your behavior. I like to use the idea of a wolf pack because I'm a young male and that's the way my brain works. I'm into ferocious wolves. And, and Paul, so Paul spends the first three chapters here the first three chapters of the letter to the Ephesians, making sure that they understand that by the saving grace of God, you've been brought into the wolf pack that we call Christians. You're no longer a part of the pack of the world. You're now a part of the pack of Christians. And so in chapter four here, we see a shift. Paul, Paul feels like he's finally got his point across. He goes, okay, they finally understand that you have a new identity. And you finally understand that you're in this new wolf pack with Christ as the head as the alpha, the alpha of the pack. God found you and he brought you in. And, uh, and so Paul shifts his focus and he says, hey, in this wolf pack that we have here, this is our culture. This is how we do things. This is how you're viewed. In this new wolf pack, in this new identity, this is how things are done. In response to God's unwavering grace and free gift given to you, this is how you are to respond. The other day, uh, Jessica, Jessica does some respite, 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 I don't know, everyone says it different. He, he looks after, she looks after a, a young boy with autism. And uh, so I went over for dinner that night and, and we sat down and as we're eating, he, he picks up a, a piece of broccoli, steamed broccoli and puts it in his mouth and eats it and goes, and he says, boy, I'm glad I like broccoli because now that I like broccoli, I'm not a little kid anymore. And it was like, what? He had it in his mind. I don't know where he got it from, but he had it that, that because he likes broccoli, he's no longer a, a, a little kid. He's now a big kid because he likes broccoli. And often when it comes to special needs kids, that's the way it works, right? Sometimes it's, 
it's black or it's white. There's no, there's no in between. And that's a unique feature that you get with um, kids with special needs. There's no gray area. And, and what do big kids do? Well, big kids eat broccoli. So he's a big kid now. And that's how Paul talks to us here in the, in the next three chapters. He doesn't give us an option. There's no like gray area with Paul. It's not like, oh, oh maybe, maybe you're a big kid because you like broccoli. It's like, no, you're a big kid now. You, this is what you do. You eat broccoli. So with that in mind, let's get into it. Ephesians chapter four, verse one. You'll see in your Bible there, um, that the title is The Unity in the Body of Christ. And so a common theme that you'll see across the final three chapters of Ephesians is the idea of walking. And you'll see that in response to God's goodness, we walk in this manner. In our pack, this is how we walk. So today, Paul talks to us about walking in unity. Today is gonna be talking about walking in unity, the first walk of the final three chapters. So let's read here. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now right away I gotta stop. I got you all excited about wolves and wolf packs and broccoli. But I gotta stop and look at this. I just gotta, because this is just so dense just in this one verse right here, right? The book of Ephesians is just so dense. So do you see it there? It's very easy to miss. Paul urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which I've been called. And when you really stop and think about that, you're like, what? How? Like, how am I ever supposed to do that? After, you, after Paul just spent all this time explaining how, you know, Christ died for you on the cross, Christ went to the grave and was resurrected for your sins, he, he took the, sh- the shame of the world on himself, and now... Oh, just walk worthy of the calling. Like, it's not a big deal, right? And you're like, that's like, it's like crazy to even think about when you stop and think about that. But thankfully, Paul tells us in the following verses that there's three ways. There's three ways that you can walk in the way that you've been called. And they're actually not unfathomably hard like you might think. So let's look in verse two and verse two to verse three. With all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So how do we walk in a manner worthy of the calling? Well, number one, you walk with humility and gentleness. Number two, you walk with patience, bearing with one another in love. And number three, with eagerness to maintain the unity of the spirit. So let's look at the first one, humility and gentleness. What is humility? Well, let's look at what the Bible says. Proverbs 22, 4 says, Humility is the fear of the Lord. Philippians 2, 3 says, In humility, value others above yourselves. So humility is knowing our position. Humility is not thinking too highly of ourselves, but also not thinking too lowly of ourselves. It's valuing others above ourselves, Philippians 2, 3. It's putting God first, man second, and then ourselves last. I've heard people say that you know you have, you know you've lost your humility when you know you have humility. Let's look at the second one. With patience, bearing with one another in love. Patience, sometimes called long-suffering. And let's just get one thing clear, just out in front of all of you. This is not me. <laughs> this is something I need to work on. I'm the kind of guy, I know when to keep my mouth shut, 
but on the inside, I'm just like churning on the inside. Are any guys like that where you're like, let's go. What's going on? Come on, let's get moving. I'm just not patient. You want to see me not be patient? Get in a car with me going 60 kilometers an hour all the way to Seashell. I think some of you know what that's right. Right? It's like, you're like freaking out. You're like, come on, let's go. Well, you want to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've been called to? Well, in our pack, we treat each other with patience and love. But that, that's easier said than done, right? It's easy for me to stand up here and say, well, I'll just be patient and bear with one another in love. Because we have a tendency to judge each other based on the actions rather than the motives, right? We just see what they're doing and you're like, no, that's no good. And, and when you get a group of people together, no matter how patient and gentle all you souls are in here, there's going to be wrongs that happen, right? There's going to be, that's just life. Like when you get a group of people together, your patience gets tested. There's times when you're natural man in your brain, you just want to like snap back and, and just tell that person how it really is, how it really should be. In a, in a wolf pack in the wild, they have, a, they have different hierarchies within the pack. And there's one job of one wolf, so I've read. I don't know if this is true. But one of the wolf's job is, he's called the Omega. And uh, his job is to basically be the loser of the pack and take the aggression from the other wolves so that that maintains the peace. They direct all their aggression towards this one wolf, and that's his job. Take the, take the beatings from the other wolves so that it remains peace amongst the rest of the pack. So let's not do that here, right? That's not, <laughs> that's not, that's not what we're saying here. We're saying in our pack, we treat each other with patience and love. We don't, we don't pick on one person. We don't choose someone out to, to try and keep the peace for the greater good. Paul's saying in our pack, we have patience and we bear with one another in love. And then the last one is eagerness to maintain the unity of the spirit. So our unity isn't based on anything we create. Did you see that there? Eagerness to maintain, not eagerness to create. It's already been created for us in the spirit. We aren't called to try and create some fake unity but we're called to maintain the unity that's already been created for us. When we use this, the previous graces of being humble, of being patient, of bearing with no, one another in love, we maintain the unity of the Spirit. And we're not talking about man-made unity of the church, this building, but it's spiritual unity. And let me tell you guys something. I'm glad that our unity is of the Spirit. Because it was, if it was of the flesh well, you guys are all weird. Did you know that? Y'all are weird. <laughs> you know what I mean? Look around, nudge the person next to you. You are weird. Because let's just be honest here. If this was me in my flesh, I wouldn't pick you guys first to be on my team, right? And I don't think you'd pick, I know. I don't think you'd pick me first to be on your team. <laughs> because what do we want out of people, right? When we wake up in the morning, we look in the mirror and we go, man, God, you did good work. You did a good job, God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Now I'm the Omega. You look in the mirror. Is this, maybe this is just me. Maybe I am. Uh-oh. I go, I go, gosh, God, why didn't you take me and use me as a template for everyone else, right? But can you imagine that? I think you all can't imagine that right now. 
That would not be good. That, oh, that would be disastrous, right? Can you imagine a church full of me, like, kind of semi-hipster wannabe, right? A kind of non-committal young adult males, oh, plumbers. Oh, that would just, yeah, I know. That would not be good. That would not be good. That would just be a nightmare. But that's what makes the unity in the body of Christ so good, is that it's not, it's not what I choose in my flesh. It's unity. It's not uniformity. What's the first thing that I do when I come here every Sunday? Take a guess. You probably never guess. Actually, you might guess. Lights. Call. Ah, light. That's a good thought. What I do is I go to that seat right there. I throw my jacket on that seat so that no one comes in here and steals my seat. Right? <laughs> Get away from my seat. You ever go to other churches maybe where they like, you're like, whoa, those people are dancing when they, that's weird when they have worship. Like that's too much, you know? I, I'm a kid, kind of. <laughs> but it's the truth, right? When we go to other churches or other places, other buildings, we feel weird. And, and that's what Paul's trying to say here is that, you know, you're not unified by having your name on your seat. You're not unified by the same you know, all the same clothing you guys wear. You're not unified because you lis only listen to Praise 106.5 on the radio or you're in the opposite camp and you never listen to 106.5 on the radio. You're unified by the Spirit. Everyone is unique and different and yet at the same time, we're so much alike because we all share the most important common thing. And that's the Spirit of God. So be humble, be gentle, be patient, bear with one another in love. I was just thinking this morning, can you imagine going to Africa and speaking over there? Like, talk about culture difference. If that's not the definition of unity in the Spirit for a pastor from here to be able to go to Kenya and, um, and share in fellowship with Christians over there, I don't know what unity in the Spirit is. Or, or another example of unity in the Spirit is in a couple weeks from now, we're going to have a, a unified Easter service, Good Friday service up at CLA. And so Paul's saying here, in our pack, in our wolf pack, we eagerly seek to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Because verse 4 says, look at me in verse 4, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was measured to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And there's two types of Christians, Calvinist or Armenianist. No, that's not what it says. <laughs> there's only one Christian. There's one thing that ties us all together. Amongst all of us weird and crazy people in this church, we're all saved by the saving work of Jesus on the cross, and we all are unified by the Spirit inside of us. We have one group, one pack, one leader. Let's go to verse 8. Verse 8 says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. You guys understand? Cool. 
Next, uh, let's move on here. Verse, just kidding. So, <laughs> where did that come from, right? You read that, you're like, Paul, what? Like, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense to me. And so when I come to a confusing passage like this, uh, what do I do that catches me off guard? You just skip right on by, right? You go, okay, cool. I guess that's enough reading for today. Let's see what's going on with Facebook. And that's what I want to do, right? Because that's, that's, we come to these passages, you're like, holy cow, like the Bible can be confusing. The Bible can be like strange and confusing. You're like, where did that even come from? So let's follow some steps when we come to stuff like this. Here's some quick tips when things get confusing in the Bible. So first you pray. First pray. Before you come to the Bible, pray. You should always be praying before you come to the Bible. Pray that the word of God will, will reveal to you the living word, that you'll be revealed what the Spirit wants to say to you. And then second, you just observe. And what do you see? And so you go, well, I see this is very confusing. <laughs> so there's some tips to help you observe. You, you, you look for keywords. You look for phrases that are repeated. You look at the context of the verse. You know, what does the verse say before it? What does it say after it? You start asking the five W's, who, what, where, when, why. You think about what Paul's trying to convey here, and you go, okay, you look at it, and you go, well, we're talking about unity in the body. We're talking about walking in a manner worthy of the calling. Hmm, okay, after, the, after that, in verse 11, it says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, and yeah, yeah okay, time to give up? <laughs> well, not yet. So in your observations, maybe, as you're observing, you go, oh, look, there's a, there's a footnote down there. There's a footnote. So in our Bible, that's a big win whenever there's a footnote. Big win for the home team. You go down, and you go, oh, it takes us to, what verse does it take us to there? You don't have a footnote. You don't have a footnote. Time out. Whoa. Stop. You don't have a footnote? Sorry. In, uh, uh, you don't have a footnote. You have a footnote? What verse does it take you to? Eight. Yeah. A. So what, what, uh, what book does it take you to? When you look down your footnotes there, I have the letter A as my footnotes. Therefore, it says, and then I have the letter A. No one else does. Oh. Psalm 68, 18. That's what I have too. You guys don't have that in your Bible. Do I? What kind of? <laughs> the church one, it doesn't. It does. It doesn't. It does, it doesn't. Boy, this observe part is harder than I thought, isn't it? <laughs> Who would have thought it would be so tough? I have Psalm 68, 18. Psalm 68, 18. So, okay, if you don't have a footnote, what do you do? <laughs> You're lost. You're lost. You go, I don't have a footnote. I don't have anything to help me here. I don't know what I'm reading. Call Blake. Call Blake. That's the next option. You go, you go, I don't understand. I'm still confused. So what do you do? You go to ask a teacher. You call, sure, call me, and I'll probably say, I don't know. <laughs> call Matt. <laughs> 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 
So ask Google. It can be Google can be tricky sometimes. There's sometimes crazy stuff on Google. I would ask someone you trust. Go to Matt, ask someone you trust. Go to someone you trust in the church. Um, look at trusted commentaries. Um, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff out there. But in my Bible, I have, I have a footnote. So it says Psalm 68, 18. And so Psalm 68, 18, let's go there. Because that means, that means he's, Paul's quoting from that. Or he's, he's referencing this scripture passage. So let's go to Psalm 68, 18 kind of threw me off guard that you guys didn't have a footnote because this was a key part of my uh, little sermon here. <laughs> Psalm 68, 18. Psalm 68, 18. And if you s- read there, Psalm 68, 18 says, You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious that the Lord God may dwell there. So you go, cool. Yeah, that's still very confusing. That didn't help me at all. <laughs> and so what do you do? So you go, th- you go back to the observe, s- the observe uh, point and you go, okay, this is confusing. Who, what, where, when, why? You know, I don't even know what's going on. It says, well, it says you ascended on high. Well, who ascended on high? You know, wh- who, where did this person come from? Where are they? Who are the captives? Like what, what does this even mean? So when all else fails... You jump to what I just said, ask teachers, look at commentaries, do some research from trusted sources. And so for a lack of time, you know how in everyone here loves those baking shows nowadays, right? Well, actually, nowadays they're going to more reality baking shows, like bake me a cake in five minutes. But in the, in the Martha Stewart cakes, right, you, you mix all the ingredients together and you put it in the oven and then you pull it out and it's magically a perfect cake. And so that's what we're going to do here because just for a lack of time to fit it all in TV, I've already done some of this research for you guys. And I'm going to try and explain a little bit of what's going on here. And uh, to get the elephant in the room, there's a whiteboard here. I'm going to use this whiteboard. Can everyone see the whiteboard? I'm going to draw some pictures. Oh, you can't. That also wasn't in my plan. <laughs> so let's go. Oh, this is going to be a real fail. Okay. You guys still can't see over there, can you? Kind of? Ah, you'll figure it out. <laughs> it's not hard. So what's going on here is uh, we're going to draw a picture here. And so in the Bible, you have a place called, it's, it's so all good. So in the Bible, you have a place called Sheol. And, and Sheol is described as a place in the depths of the earth. And that's Deuteronomy 32. So you got, you got this, this is earth, you know, you got your trees. I'm not an artist, I'm a plumber. Don't blame me. And so, and so, Deuteronomy 32. And so, Sheol is described as a place in the depths of the earth. And in Sheol, you've got two sides. You got boom and, and boom. And you got two sides. Oh, that's not very good. And so in Sheol, there's two sides, and it's separated by a divide. And it, it's close enough to see and talk to each other, Luke 16. And so on one side, you have the righteous. Righteous. And on the other side, you have the unrighteous. 
And so scripture tends to point to this place, Sheol, as not a very super happy place. It's an okay place. But it says, Psalm 116 says there's pain. Second uh, Samuel 22 says there's sorrow. Job 17 says it's dark. And so you look at that, and what does that seem like to you? Yeah. Seems like hell. But Sheol isn't hell. That's a key thing to, to think about or to remember. It's not the final resting place. There will come a time at the end of the days when everyone's judged and anyone's name not written in the book of life, Revelation 20, 13 to 15, will be thrown into the lake of fire. That's what we call hell. That's the final death. And so Sheol here is, is a place, it's a sort of intermediate place underneath, underneath the earth, as described in Deuteronomy, and and it's, it's a sort of intermediate place before the final judgment. And so before the saving work of the cross, before Jesus died for you and me, before Jesus died for the saints in the Old Testament, all the saints would go down to Sheol, and all, every, anyone who died would go. The saints would go to the righteous side. Anyone who rejected God would go to the unrighteous side. Oftentimes you'll see in the Bible, in, well not often actually, only once, in Luke you'll see it called Abraham's bosom is where they go. I hope you all can read <coughs> sideways. And so, and so they go here and wait. And so the idea is that Christ hasn't redeemed them yet. Like they, they're, they're saved. They're in Abraham's bosom. But they haven't been up, up into paradise with the Lord yet. So we have a basic idea here, I hope, that was somewhat clear. Sheol, below the earth, one side is the righteous, the other side is the unrighteous. Uh, the righteous side they call Abraham's bosom. In, in, in Luke, you see it described as they're actually talking to each other across the divide, but they can't go across the divide. And so that's a super quick, confusing explanation of what that is. But, but let's go back, let's go back uh, to uh, Ephesians. Ephesians. Chapter 4, verse 8, and let's read that again. And so with that in mind, of the descending into the earth idea, let's read this again. When he ascended, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. In, in battle, in battle, when kings would return from war, they would return with a triumphal parade back in the day. And the king would lead the way. And in, in, in behind them would be, would be the captives that they've taken, the captives they've captured from this, this nation they've just conquered. And, and once they got back to their own gates, into their gates, they would, you know, there'd be rejoicing, they'd share the spoils of war with the men and some of the people in the city. And, and, and so in that way, what we read here, in that same way, Jesus, he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? So in the same way, Jesus is leading the captives out of Abraham's bosom. These captives over here, spoiler alert, 
Abraham's bosom is now empty because when Jesus died, he goes down to Sheol and he led them in a train out of Sheol up to be with him in, in heaven, with him, with Jesus there. And so, so these captives who were once captive to sin, they're now captive to Christ. Jesus went down into the enemy's camp and he took back what was rightfully his. By dying on the cross for Paul, by dying on the cross for me, by dying on the cross for you, you're now a prisoner for Christ. You see, Christ experienced the depths of humiliation. He went down into the enemy's camp and then he was risen to exaltation when he ascended far above all the heavens so that you might no longer be a slave to sin, but so that you might be a prisoner to Christ because sin no longer has a grip on you by the work of the cross. By the power of Christ, he redeemed you from the stronghold of sin and brought you into his camp. By the name of Jesus, your chains have been broken. Sin has lost its grip on you. You are now a part of the wolf pack of Jesus Christ and nothing can snatch you out of his hand. Amen? So I hope that didn't make things more confusing than they were, but that's kind of what I'm going to do with that scripture there. <laughs> so Jesus, what? He left us with nothing. It says he, he ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So what? Jesus just left us with nothing? He went up there and said, peace, guys. I'll see you whenever I see you. Well, no. He, went, he died for our sins. He went down to Sheol. He led the captives out in a train and ascended into heaven and is now sitting at the right hand of God. Acts 1.20. And so that's great and all, but, you know, wh well, what do we do here now? We're, we weren't in Sheol. We're here on earth. What do we do? He just, he just left us here all by ourselves hanging out. Well, no. He left us here uh, with the Spirit. We're unified in the Spirit. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, John 16, 7, said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus went down to Sheol, led the captives out, ascended into heaven, and then sent the Holy Spirit down to help us. In fact, he said it's actually to, to our advantage that he leaves, which seems crazy to think about, right? But, but that's what Jesus said. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. So he left and he sent the helper to come help us, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. But he also gave us something else. And so read with me verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 11 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He gave us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherd teachers. And why? Why did he do that? Well, verse 12 says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now this is another verse, uh, kind of like that first verse we talked about, of walking in a manner worthy of the calling. This idea of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. This is one where it can easy, it can, when you're reading that at home, you can just gloss right over it, right? But if you really stop and look at that and think about that, this is like, 
this is the calling of the church right here. Like I could spend hours on just this one verse, right? But, but, but when you understand what this is, this can like transform your idea of like what the church is. And as a member of the church of Christ, this actually rocked me a little bit as I was, as I was looking at it because for a long time, um, and I think this is common in churches, you look at the pastor, the senior pastor as, okay, he's, he's the ministry guy we're all here to just help him fulfill his ministry, right? He's, he's like, well, I'm not here to do ministry. You're the pastor. You do, you know, I'm just here to help. And don't get me wrong, the role of the, the, the senior pastor, the shepherd teacher, is to lead us through his actions of ministry. But even more than that, if you read it here, that, that his role actually is to equip us for our own ministry to build up the body until... Until what? Till just forever? He's just supposed to forever. Well, verse 13 says, until we attain unity of faith, until we have knowledge of the Son of God, and until we mature to manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullest of Christ. So let me ask you guys, when are all these things going to happen? When are we going to have complete unity of faith? When are we going to have unity in the knowledge of the Son of God? And when are we going to become a perfected man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? When, when's that going to happen? When we die? When Christ comes back? When Christ comes and says, Okay, I'm coming for my church. So these offices and gifts that God has given the church are to con- continue really to the end of days. You're called as the church to be continually working towards maturity and trying to walk in a manner worthy of which you've been called. And this isn't going to happen overnight, you know, don't get me wrong. (laughs) But as you mature physically in your age, you should also be maturing spiritually. You know, it, it, as I was thinking this week, it was like, man, if you, if you're sitting here and you come to CTK week after week um, and you listen to whoever's speaking and you sing the music and, and you're not growing, if you aren't being shepherded towards being equipped for the work of ministry so that the body of Christ will be expanded and strengthened, then that's an issue. That's an issue that needs to be dealt with. If you come here week after week and you're not growing, that's an issue. And I couldn't tell you what that issue is, whether it's the speaker or whether it's the leadership or whether it's in your own whether it's in your own heart, that's something that you got to look at. You know, you got to spend time and look at if it's something that, some walls that you're putting up. But I think at CTK, um, I actually think we're blessed with a, a senior pastor that teaches expositionally from the Bible. I think we're blessed with a, a teacher that encourages us to partake in ministry. Um, and so I just want to encourage you this morning, if you feel like, man, I... I'm called to do something in ministry, whatever that is. I'm called to evangelize. I'm called to, I'm called to be equipped to build up the ministry, which if you read your Bible, it looks like you are. <laughs> but if you hear something specific, man, go talk to Matt because Matt wants to encourage you. Matt wants to equip you. Um, he not only wants to equip you with, with doctrine from the word of God, but he also wants to equip you with practical things, just everyday things you need, money, help. Man, that's Matt's job here, is to equip you guys, the saints, so that you can evangelize and strengthen the body of Christ, so that you can do ministry for the body of Christ.
Recently, I went to a church one Sunday. Um, I wasn't on the coast here, so don't need to crazy speculate. I went to a church, and uh, it was good. You know, the people were friendly. The music was good. The seats were comfortable. The pastor had some funny jokes when he did the announcements. You know, all the normal stuff. But then when it came to the teaching, it was one of those ones where you just sit there and you're like, after 20 minutes, he finished up and you, I just kind of sat there and was like, what? Like, what? <laughs> what did I, I didn't even know what I just heard. I didn't even know what I, like, people come here and listen. Like, there's no way these people are being equipped to serve the ministry. Like, did I mature in my unity here? Did I mature in my faith at all? Did, did this help me at all walk towards Christ? It was like, I don't even know what I just listened to. It's one of those just weird sermons, right? You guys, do you know those places? I'm sure a lot of you do. So the question is, okay, I'm supposed to be maturing. I'm supposed to be equipped for ministry. I'm supposed to be equipped to build the body of Christ. I want this wolf pack to grow. So how do you know if you're maturing? How do you know if you sit here week after week and you're not maturing? Well, Paul gives us three measuring sticks to gauge our growth. So let's read it. Verse 14. Verse 14 says, the first one here is, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So number one, you're no longer like children tossed to and fro. You know what I love about kids? They're easy, easy to manipulate. With Timbits. <laughs> Especially with Timbits. You know, I got to feel like I have power somewhere, right? You know, when a kid falls, have you ever done this? I'm sure you all have. When a kid falls, what's the first thing you say to them? And they look at you, what's the first thing you say? You're okay. You're all right. You're all right. It's okay. You're okay. And they look at you and they're like, oh, maybe I am okay, right? They're easy to like, to like inception into them. Or, or you know when they're, you know when kids are like so focused on one thing and one thing that you want to do, this doesn't always work, but there's one thing they want to do and you just slide something else more fun in front of them and their mind's like, oh, okay, yeah, I think I'll do that. You know, kids are, al- kids are always looking to what's next, right? You gotta, they're like, okay, Lego, done with Lego, what's next? Okay, here, color this. Okay, I'm done with the coloring, what's next? Okay, here. How about some Play-Doh for a bit? Okay, yeah, we're done with the Play-Doh. What's next, Mom? What's next, Dad? Uh, okay, why don't you go outside for a bit? And they're like, well, will you come play with me? You're like, uh, yeah, in a bit. And they come back in, and they're like, okay, what's next? I'm done with being outside. It's too cold. What's next? Until finally, you're just like, just watch the iPad for an hour, right? <laughs> you just, just relax. Take a break. Kids are, just, kids are never satisfied, right? They're always looking for what's next. They're always looking for the next thing that, that's going to happen. Have you ever heard this question, too, where they sit, you sit down for dinner and they go, hey, what's for dinner tomorrow night? And you're like, what? <laughs> Kids are just, they're just always unsatisfied, it seems like, with what's in front of them. They're always looking at what's next. And that's how the devil works on us. Did you know that? You know, you, you go, oh, that church doesn't play upbeat music. I don't want to go to that. Oh, look at this church over there. They only, this church only makes you sit there for five minutes. It's like a Reader's Digest condensed version of the gospel. It's awesome. We should go there. You know, it's, it's, it's just like one thing after another, just being swayed by whatever comes in front of your face. 
But what Paul says here is that in our pack, we value the word of God. It, you know, the other packs don't. It's all about how to get money quick. It's all about, oh, look at this world. Look at this invention over here. You know, it's just cunning and craftiness in their schemes to take your time and to say, you know, do you really need Jesus? He's so like, oh, he's so 2,000 years ago. Like, come on, get with the present day, right? The devil constantly wants you to be looking for the next best thing. Like, like okay, you're done for the Bible. Well, you don't need to read the Bible. What's next? Pray? No, you don't pray. That's boring. Don't go to church. They're all ugh, annoying there. They're lovey-dovey. They yell at you if you take their seat. It's like, oh, it's no good. Jesus, no, Jesus wasn't really God. He wasn't, he was just a good guy back then. Like, don't trust what the Bible says. And so the Bible tells us here, don't be deceived by the ways of human cunning, stay strong in the Lord. And that's one way to know if you're growing, if you're maturing, if you're being equipped. Are you, are you being tossed to and fro? Are you being tricked by human cunning? Stay strong in the Lord. Verse 15, the second one. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So the second thing we're supposed to do to know if we're being equipped is to start speaking the truth in love and growing up in every way into Christ. And so the word love in English is a pretty terrible word just in the, it's a good, <laughs> that came off bad. It's a good word, but this is what I mean. You know, one minute I say, I love God. And then the next minute I say, I love Big Macs too, so much. You know, th- in the English word, the word love is like, it's a very broad and general general word. In the Bible, the word love has many, many different, different words that are associated to it to, to describe the different forms of love. You've got like brotherly love, you have sexual love, or you have um, the word that love that Paul uses here, the top of the food chain, the highest form of love, agape love. And agape love, if you don't know, agape is Greek for love, and agape means, it's, it's the type of love that, that is used the type of love that God has for, for, his, for his body, for his creation. It's the type of love that God has for you. It's, it's an unconditional love. It's the type of love that would have God send his own son to die for you. And that's the word love that Paul's using here, agape. He's telling us that, that because you have such unconditional love for each other, speak the truth. Don't dance around issues. We're one body, we're one spirit, one Lord, one God. If you see someone being tossed to and fro, and you got to speak the truth. But do it with what Paul has already talked about, right? With gentleness, with humility, with patience, with bearing one another in love. This doesn't give you a free pass today to go after church and just like, oh yeah, I'm going to get these guys so good, right? That would not end well. But, but on the same hand, you can't just grab onto that word love and be like, oh, I just love them so much I don't want to say anything, so I'm just going to let them keep sinning or, you know, just let them keep doing what they're doing. Don't use that as an excuse to not say anything at all. In true, unconditional, agape love, speak the truth so that we can grow up in every way into Christ. You know, if you went to a doctor, the doctors, and you found out maybe you had maybe a, a tumor the doctor's not going to say, ooh, I love this guy so much. I'm just going to let it slide, right? No, the doctor's going to tell you the truth because he loves you and he wants you to be healed because we can fix that. And that's the thing that we do in our church. We don't let sin just go because it's like, oh, I just love them so much. In truth, we speak love.
So let's come to the third thing that we see here in verse 16. Verse 16 says, From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the third way to tell if we're being equipped for ministry is if we work together, if we cooperate, if we work towards the common goal. You know, we're a body, as said in the Bible. And do you know when a body works the best? Is when each part is doing what it's supposed to be doing. Can you imagine if the liver comes up to the brain and says, hey brain, yeah, I'm going to start pumping blood now. Cool. It's like, no, don't do that. We already have something that does that. Do what your job is. You're important. Cooperate with the rest of the body. When, when the body works together, the liver does what it's supposed to do, the kidney, the heart, the brain. When your limbs go where you tell it to go, your body flourishes, right? When each part works properly and begins walking in the manner worthy of the calling, with humility and gentleness and patience and bearing one another in love and eager to maintain the unity and when we begin to grow so that we aren't being tossed to and fro and when we speak the truth in love and grow up towards him, then the body will grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so Paul writes these things, just to bring it all home, I feel like I've said a lot here. (laughs) Paul writes these things in saying that, hey, you're a big kid now eat your broccoli. You're a member of this new wolf pack. This is how we do things here. We walk in the unity of spirit. See, Paul calls us to walk with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of our spirit. In our pack, we grow up. We don't just stay where we are. You know, in our pack, you know who you are. You know what Christ has done for you. Your identity is in Christ. Christ went to the depths of the earth and broke the chains of sin, broke any bonds that sin has on you. He redeemed you and brought you into our wolf pack, brought you into the body of Christ. So don't be tossed to and fro. Stand firm in the truth. Don't take your eyes off Jesus. You see, in our wolf pack here that we call Christians, we do things a little bit differently than the rest of the world. When we truly understand and realize the overwhelming grace that God's given to us and has for us, we do things a little differently than the, what the world tells us to do. And so it's, it's super important here of everything I said, it's super important to remember that these are like crazy practical things to do. Like this is just what we're called to do. And often that's not how the Bible works, right? Often you read the Bible and you're like, what, this is so confusing. Jesus, why would you speak in parables? Why don't you just tell us what you mean, Jesus? Like, just speak practically like Paul does here. And, and so here, things are clear. Things are fairly clear for us, man. You have a new identity. This is the way we act in our new identity. But it's important to remember that, that all of this that Paul talks about here so far is, is about a response. It's about a response to the grace of God. It's not, a, it's not these actions we don't do so that God gives us grace. These things aren't some sort of work or desperate attempt to get in God's good books. Oh, you're in okay. It's like, yes, finally, I've been trying to be so patient and humble. It's like, no, no, you're in. So this is how we respond in the wolf pack. And so 
as the, uh, as the band comes up, another thing that we do in our wolf pack here is partaking communion together. And while Jesus was, was with his disciples in the upper room on the night of Passover, which is only about two weeks from now, Jesus took the bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So a, a command of Jesus is to remember him in re regular participation of communion. And so that's what we're going to do today. The band's going to play a song. Um, you come up and, and take a cup and, and a bread and, and take it back to your seat, and, and we'll partake together. But maybe you're sitting there today, and you're sitting there and you're going, well, I'm not a part of this wolf pack. Like, uh, my pack doesn't do this. I don't know what you're talking about, communion. And that's okay. And you, and you might say, I don't want to do this. And that's okay. And I respect you for respectfully declining. Because it's actually better for you not to participate rather than to just go along with the rest of the crowd. Nobody looks down on you for that. If you go, nah, this isn't my pack. I don't want to do that. That's okay. But maybe you're sitting there and thinking, yeah, I, I want to participate in communion. This is something I, this sounds like what I want to do. Jesus died for me. I want to remember that on a regular basis. I want to be a part of that wolf pack. And I'm here to say gladly that we are accepting new members all the time. And all you have to do is just pray. If the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you're saved. And it's just as easy as that. So I'm going to pray, and uh, if you feel like you want to be in that pack, just pray these words with me in your heart, and then uh, we'll come and take communion together. Lord, we thank you for um, just your words, Lord. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you that, um, that you freely brought us into your body, Lord, that you loved us and cared for us. You went down to the depths. You took back what was rightfully lo yours, Lord. Uh, we just praise you that through your death and resurrection, we have eternal life, God. And so, so this morning, Lord, I just want to commit my life to you, God. I confess that I'm a sinner, Lord. Um, I confess that I need you, God. Lord, come into my heart and change my life and, and uh, just change me, God. Amen. <coughs>